There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. G'day, Sarah. I'm Peter from Bendigo. I have a question. What is so important about this election? I'm Sarah Wilson, and you're listening to This Wild Election, a mini-series that will help Everyone who gives a shit about the stuff that defines our nation to make their vote count. All right, on today's episode of This Wild Election, we're going to go back to some basics, like how to actually vote. Now, I don't think that any of us should feel embarrassed about being a little in the dark on how it all works, or if you've maybe forgotten how it works from the last election, because it was actually three years ago, we don't get taught anywhere. So please, if it's a primer for you or if it's a refresher, please stay on board because we're going to cover off a whole bunch of basics. Now, before I start, I want to do a really quick primer, a sort of almost glossary of terms. May the 21st, we will be voting for candidates in both the House of Representatives or House of Reps and half the Senate. We vote in members of parliament or MPs in the House of Reps which is the house that determines which of the two parties wins government. It's also called the lower house, which I've always found slightly confusing because the House of Reps, I don't know, to me it seems more major or more important and more upper than lower. I don't know about the rest of you, but the House of Reps is also the house where you vote in a candidate from your electorate and their job is to represent your electorate or your local area for you in parliament. And there are 151 of these electorates across Australia. Now, we won't jump too far ahead, but you can probably do the maths here. For a government to win a majority government, they need to win 76 seats. And if they don't, then there's a hung parliament, which is possible this election, but we'll get to that in a moment. On the same day, we also vote for half the Senate positions, as I said before. So six in each state. In the territories, so the ACT and the Northern Territory, there are only two Senate seats and we vote on both of these this election. The Senate, yes, and this is confusing, is called the lower house or the house of review because this is where policies from the lower house (laughs) are scrutinised. Anyway, I'll leave it there. That's just to get you all up to speed on the basics. What I'll do is I'll just cut to a quick question that came in on the VMs. Hi, this is Rach from Wiradjuri Country. My question is, how do I find out who the federal election candidates are for my particular region? 
All right, Rach, that's pretty easy. I would recommend going to Vote Compass. And in fact, I'll ask our expert in a moment as well on his take. But it's actually a website that's set up by the ABC and it's super useful. You can hit your electorate. And I'll put all of this, of course, in the show notes for everybody. When you go to your electorate, it actually has a brief blurb on each candidate and a link to their website. So that's probably the best place to go to. And I think you can even just type in your postcode if you don't know your electorate. And it'll have all the candidates listed there. It's also really worth doing the Vote Compass survey while you're there. It's about 30 questions and it actually asks you about your values on a bunch of things. Like it really goes to the basics of the stuff I think we're talking about in cafes and pubs and at sports ovals or whatever. It'll spit out the party that represents you the best. Now, I should just say it only actually works to the LMP. Labor and the Greens. It doesn't include the independents. It'll give you a really good view on, well, what matters to you. So it's a good starting point. So here in the studio today, I have with me three voters. Now, first of all, we've got Grace. Grace, who's just turned 18. And so this is your first election. Are you pumped? Definitely, yes. I'm excited to finally have the chance to, you know, be a part of um, the political process in Australia and respond to the way that life is changing here. So, yeah, grateful to be a part of it. And I think if we'd had the election at the end of last year, you wouldn't have made it. So, you were kind of glad that it's a May election, right? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Sondi. Sondi is a bit of a friend of mine. Sondi, you're obviously not a first-time voter. What's your position? I've always felt really privileged to be able to vote, but I've never, until this year, I've never actually really felt compelled, but I really want to make sure that my vote counts. Right. I don't just want to vote anybody. I, I really want to look into it. So you're I more engaged than ever absolutely, before. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Definitely. And then we've also got Jason. Jason, what's your situation? Oh, 48. Oh, I think I've spent, Sarah, to be honest, I think I've spent the last 20 years, 25 years advocating for the things I really believed in, but I've really dropped the ball when it comes to supporting and voting for the right people because I'm too busy doing what I do. And I just would love for these people to have gone, hey, Jace, we really believe in that. Uh, we'd love to support that. How do you feel about it? Mm. And I just feel like this is a massive disconnect. So I'm completely embarrassed, but also quite engaged in the idea of learning a lot more today. So all three of you are concerned and caring, but have not been fully engaged in the past. Mm. This election, though, feels different? Very. This one feels really important for some reason, but it just, I think there are so many huge issues for all of us, but it just feels really important. And and given the last three years and and the amount of resources that COVID has sucked out and life experience and getting through, it's like, now it's, it just feels like the brakes are on. Okay, now it's time to make this really important decision because it'll affect not just the next three years, but the next 60. Yeah. Okay. I think you are reflecting very accurately how many people are feeling. What I'll now do is introduce you to our expert that's going to answer a bunch of questions from the four of us. Okay. Down the line in Canberra, we have Evan Eakin Smith. He's the Director of Engagement at the Australian Electoral Commission. Hi, Evan. Oh, good day. Thank you for having me. And it's just great to see people around the table there who, you know, reflect the Australian electorate and excited and particularly young people as well, 18 years old, uh, first time. I'm, yeah, no no slight on anybody else. Young Australians are a little bit less likely to be enrolled and participate, our statistics show. So it's always uh, great to see people who are engaged. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, look, the four of us are going to peg questions on behalf of all of the people who've written to me with questions about this issue, how to vote. 
And we're going to get you to answer them as succinctly as possible, Evan, because that is your job at the Electoral Commission. So, Grace, I think the first question might come from you. Yeah, totally. So given that both elections are going to be held on the same day for the the Senate and the House of Reps, I'm just interested to know how the ballot papers are different for both of them and just why that is. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Yeah, great. They're wildly different. You'll get two ballot papers, the lower house, the House of Representatives, it'll be a small green one. We typically average somewhere from five odd candidates as a minimum up to about 15 on the House of Reps ballot paper. So it's quite small. The Senate ballot paper can be huge. Depends where you're living. If you're living in Tassie, the Northern Territory or the ACT, it might not be that big. But if you're living in New South Wales or Victoria, for instance, it might be over a metre long. So it's a big white ballot paper and the voting rules differ as well. So you've really got to carefully think about those voting rules. But the basic rule is who do you most and who do you least want to see in Parliament to represent you? And structure your numbers that way on your ballot paper. Well, look, we might go to the House of Reps first. We might do House of Reps and then talk Senate and separate the two because they're quite different processes for voting. So, Sondi, I know you had a question about the House of Reps. Yeah, I wanted to know, I always assumed that if I voted someone one, that that would be where my vote would go. But is that the case? Like, does does my number one vote go to number one regardless of what I do underneath that or... Do people align themselves with other people so that my three ends up going to a person I don't want it to go to? So that's really confusing for me. Yeah. So your question, I think, is almost a two-part. First, maybe, Evan, we can get you to explain why in Australia, and I think really this is a question a lot of people put to me, is my vote going to be wasted? Like if Mm. I vote this way, is it just going to be wasted and not go to the party I want? So I think, Evan, maybe if you can first explain why in Australia, a vote is never wasted and maybe how this idea actually comes from overseas, right, where they don't have this thing called preferential voting. So do you want to start with that one? Yeah, sure. And I'll I'll talk about the House of Representatives first because that's the primary contest that people are talking about with this. Your number one goes to your number one and the only person who controls your preferences is you the voter. Parties can encourage you to vote a particular way, to number your ballot paper for particular people. You can pay attention to that and follow it if you want to, but you don't have to. So in the House of Representatives, if you number one for your favourite candidate, that's where we'll count it first. If they don't get enough votes to be in the top two candidates, they might get excluded. And if that happens, your vote transfers at its full value to your number two, And again, we'll have a look at whether or not they've got enough to be in the top two. If they do, great, that's where your vote stays. If they don't, then again, your candidate will get excluded and it'll flow on again at its full value to your number three. And that's why it's really, really important for people to number the entire ballot paper because that's the only way that we can count it in the House of Representatives. It's actually compulsory, isn't it? To You've got to put a number in every box in the House of Reps. So you might have five, you might have 15, as Evan said, but you do, it's invalid. It will not be counted unless you have a number in every single box from one to whatever. Correct. That's right. So you've got to think about very carefully, not just who your number one will be, because if they don't get enough votes and they get knocked out, well, you've got to go down further. Your vote will ultimately land with one of the two top candidates. 
And people often say, oh, well, that means it's skewed towards the major parties. Well, not necessarily. If the majority of the electorate votes for what people refer to as a minor party or an independent candidate, well, then they'll be one of the top two candidates. And that's where your vote will either stay or flow to. So it's always counted in that final contest to determine what single person is elected to your division and by how much. So preferential voting is actually an incredibly good thing because it ensures that you get a say, even if your favourite person isn't going to have a hope. So is the idea that if the person that I really don't want to get in, the idea is that I put that person last? Yes. And your ballot paper can never end up with the person that you put last. It could potentially end up with the person that you put second last. If your two least favourite people are the only top two people left in the contest, the ones that get the most votes, it'll never end up with the person you put absolutely last. So it's critical, even if you think that, you know, there's three or four candidates that I want to put down the bottom, you've got to choose between them because ultimately if they're getting more votes from other people and other people think differently to you, you at least then get to decide who is your least favourite amongst that group. So I think you've explained how preferences work. And essentially preferences kick in if nobody gets the majority of votes. So if nobody's come up with a clear majority, so 51%, so no member has got 51%, that's when they start to count the preferences until they get a clear winner. So they count them until everybody's preferences kind of spill up the system and they get a 51% figure. That's right. We do have some contests that are just decided on people's number ones. If a particular candidate gets over 50% of number ones, well, we'll still count the preferences to see where everything lands, but they've already been elected on first preferences. But that doesn't happen in every contest. In fact, there's a lot of contests where that doesn't happen and where preferences are incredibly important. So in many ways for the voter, though, it's actually a lot less complicated than you think. Essentially, work out who you least favourite person is and put them as last and then work out who your favourite person is and then fill out the middle. That's all you've got to do. And really, it's the best representation of what you really want to happen. It's exactly right. You don't, you don't have to overthink it. We, we, we find that people overthink it a little bit too much. It's simple. Let the preferential voting system take care of it. It's why we've got a really good system in place. So all you've got to do is number your ballot paper, most favourite, least favourite, and leave it at that. Jason, did you have anything to ask on top of that? Um, I think we've covered off your question, which was about, do I put my worst down the bottom and just start from there? Yeah, yeah. Look, so how do I really approach this? I mean, hypothetically, what if I know nothing about the candidates? I've seriously had my head in the sand. I know what I want for my community, but I don't know enough about the candidates. They're like, there's no favourites, and I don't know what worst case scenario looks like. How do I live myself once it all goes through? Yeah, but do some research. I mean, we can't help you. Oh, no. (laughs) Come on, man. Or as Adam Bant would say, Google it, mate. Google it, mate. That is a very short way to frame my answer, but yeah. it's more than just more than just Google. I mean, there's a lot of election communication coming at you during a federal election. Candidates are trying to communicate with you because they're trying to get elected. But where so, is where is the my problem is is where is the clarity? I had someone reach out to me recently and said, "Hey, look, we love I love what you do on social media, and this is a local candidate. Hey, I'd love to be involved in that. I'll give you a thousand bucks, and I can come over and and we can chat." And like, so he just wanted to jump on board with the community thing that I'd driven. I'm like, "Hey, no." How about we talk mm. about voluntary assisted death? How about we talk about climate change first before you start throwing dollars? Like I was, I was actually really embarrassed for him. I know who you're talking about too. That is embarrassing for him. Okay. This is going to sound a bit of a you know, stunted public service term, but it's a, it's a robust environment out there. You're not going to know potentially all the time whether or not something is a paid thing or not. But what you will be able to find out is who is communicating with you. 
and you can do your own research. I mean, voters all have their own free will. They all have their own brain. They have a multitude of sources these days to go and look at different information that sits behind candidates. Not everybody's going to do that. We know that some are more disengaged than others, but that is the voters' role. We run a campaign. We call it Stop and Consider, and it's just trying to urge voters to do just that. Take it seriously. Value your vote. Go to the ballot box informed. That's the best thing that you can do. Look, Vote Compass is a great place to go and research just top line who is actually running on the ballot paper and to see their top line policies. There's other organisations like GetUp and the ACF. Voteforus.org is also great. Yeah. yeah, so you can get to see what the current member, how they vote. But yeah, Jason, does that sort of get you on the right path? It does. And it also makes me reflect for a second thinking, you know, probably my biggest resource outside of Google it, mate, is talk to my own community. What do we need in our own community and, and where do we sit on the line as far as our own you know, love for different policies? And everybody's doing politics in the pub at the moment. There are events and community <sighs> things going on everywhere where you can go and listen to each of the candidates. I like, knew the pub was good for something. That's it. The community important point though yeah. um, because it, your house reps vote in particular. That's your local area and the decisions might affect it. So, yeah, absolutely. Talk to your neighbours, friends, your family uh, and, and other sources. You can also Google it. Grace, you've got a question about how to vote cards. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully everyone does stop and consider who they're voting for this election. But if someone does go into the booth on the 21st of May and they're not too sure about what candidates are on the vote card, how might the order of the candidates affect their decision? Can that ever be biased? And uh, yeah, just how the, is that decided? On the how to vote card. So when a yeah. Labor member or a Liberal member or a Greens hands you a how to vote card, they often have what they would like you to write down on the ballot paper in the order that will best suit them and give them the best chance of getting their candidate in. You're wondering, uh, is it biased? Is it Should we, should we be using them? Uh, is that a problem? What do you think, Evan? It's up to each individual voter. It's a recommendation. And some people, if there are a lot of candidates, we get it. They might come and they go, well, I don't know who two or three of these people are or what they represent. If you only have a really firm view about one particular party and you know that you're aligned with their policies, you think what they're doing is great and I, I want to vote to get them in. Well, maybe you do want to follow their how to vote card. Maybe that is the best informed way that you can cast your vote and and make sure you complete a valid vote according to what you believe in. So it's a legitimate way of voting, following a how to vote card. We would always profess that your own view is is the best rather than a view of a single political party. And as we said before, do do your research and come informed and number your own ballot paper. But it's completely legitimate to follow the recommendations of the party if you want to. And just to throw in there, Grace, I read the other day that only half of Australians actually use the how to vote cards these days. And I think the number has dropped over the years. Mm -hmm. And also there are a number of independents who are saying they won't be handing them out. Almost to Evan's point, we're independent and so we're not going to tell you how to preference. So, yeah. Well, let's move to the Senate. As you say, Evan, it's a super, super long form. It almost feels like a roll of toilet paper. It's white and it combines preferential and proportional representation. And it can feature multiple candidates from the same party, but it's not as complicated as it sounds, I am assured. Basically, you know, everyone in New South Wales, and because it's you're actually voting for a state representative, everyone in New South Wales gets the same form. Everyone in Victoria gets the same form and so on. So everybody in each state or territory, we're voting for the same people. It's not an electorate thing. It's a state-based thing. So Grace, you had another question here. What is the difference between voting above the line and voting below the line? Do I have to do both? Why do we have the choice? Yeah. Awesome question. 
Yeah, indeed. And you don't have to do both. The choice is to vote either above the line or below the line. If you're going above the line, you're choosing to vote for parties or groups. If you're voting below the line, you're choosing to vote for individual candidates. Our key message here, just like the House of Representatives, nobody controls your preferences other than you, the voter. So if you go above the line, you're number one for a party or a group. It will only see preferences flow within that group. So I'll just clarify things. Above the line, you might have the words written, the Greens, Labor, Liberal, and underneath below the line are a list of candidates who are Greens, Liberal, Labor. And some of them might have like two or three, some of them might have four or five, if that makes sense. So you can go along and vote for the party only across the top, or as Evan says, you can go below the line and do each individual person from across the Greens, Labor, wherever. Yeah, and the difference is if you vote for a party above the line, when you vote for party A, whoever that is, your vote in terms of preferences will flow down their candidates within that column below their party. So if they have five candidates, your first five preferences will go within that party and it goes nowhere else but back up to your number two above the line. So when you vote for a party, they're not directing your preferences across parties. That's not how it works. In the Senate. In the Senate, correct. They only direct preferences according to the order on the ballot paper. So you can see it all of the candidates that are, that are underneath their box. It then goes back up to the next party that you've numbered and so on. The difference with individual candidates is you don't go one to five within one party. You can do whatever you like. You can go number one for party A, number two for party Z, number three for party X however you want to do it. Yeah. Sandy, you had an extra question? Below the line, does every box again have to be filled out? Good question. Or not? It's six above the line. You've got, to, you've got to do a minimum of six and below the line, a minimum of 12. Is that right, Evan? That's correct. You can go as far as you want. The- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today reality with the Senate is that the vast majority of votes don't go too far with their preferences because of the way that the Senate voting system works. People get elected before we need too many of your preferences, but you can go as far as you want. And and sometimes we need to go quite far in the count. So a minimum of one to six above the line, minimum of one to 12 below, but you can number them all if you want. Yeah. Okay. So look, I'm going to ask an extra question. I'm going to jump in here because it's something that has occurred to me. A lot of people ask this. Can parties redirect my preferences if I vote above the line? And this is how Ricky Muir and the motor enthusiasts got in, right? Like with 98 votes. I think I have this right. That was abolished in 2016. And so that can no longer happen. So a lot of people who are worried about the very question that you asked, Sunday, that did used to occur. So you did have somebody like 
you know, Ricky Muir and the Motor Enthusiast Party getting on 98 votes because all the other weird independents put their preferences to him. That doesn't happen anymore. It's actually stopped, hasn't it, except for in WA, is that right? At the federal level, it has stopped. There's still a couple of systems within Australia in different levels of elections where that occurs. They used to call it a group voting ticket. So you used to just do a number one above the line for whatever party you wanted, and your vote would flow according to the ticket that that party had lodged with the AEC. It's scrapped. Past two federal elections, that system is not in play. Preferences are entirely in the voters' hands. Votes will only ever flow towards your numbers. So they can't go to anyone else. How many people actually do the whole below the line thing? Not many. Uh, <laughs> we see a higher proportion in ACT in Tasmania for whatever reason. Might be a lot of public servants in Canberra, maybe that's the case, but not many. We're talking less than 1% really. When you look at the way that the Senate voting system has changed, it's mandating people to do some preferences these days. And I think people actually get a sense of that's a full say anyway. But even when we had the old system where it was just number one above the line or you had to go all of them below the line, it was a very low percentage of people who went below the line. It's memories. I think that was existing when I first voted where we actually had to fill in every single box. So, yes, just to remind you, it's minimum of six above the line that you've got to fill in, a minimum of 12 below the line, and you really don't have to go below the line if that doesn't suit you. Sondi, you've got another question. Where can I research or do some research on the senators that are in our state and how many do I need to know about? We um, often get questions about why don't you host on your website, you know, these detailed bios and policy positions of candidates. It's not something that we do. We list the candidates out, of course, but then it's up to the voter to find out information about them. Party websites are a great place. Of, Of course, they're putting out the messages that they want. Your local groups, we were talking about communities before, talking to your neighbour, your family, your friends. Uh, it's valuing your vote and doing doing some research in the channels that are available to you. But, but we don't actually detail party policies. In fact, it would be sort of dangerous for the AEC as the independent arbiter of elections to say what a particular party's policy was. If they took grievance with that and suggested that we were a bit off with it and that it influenced the election, that would be pretty pretty dangerous. So we're not the source, but there's a range of sources out there for you. You know how we just said below the line there has to be at least a minimum of 11? 12. 12. What if you you didn't know that and you did 10? Is it invalid? There are some vote savings provisions in the Electoral Act where if people make an inadvertent mistake, maybe miss a number, sometimes it can be picked up. But to make absolutely sure that your vote's going to count, that it's formal, you've got to do it according to the instructions. So if you accidentally don't number things, it might get scooped up, but most of the time it won't. Most of the time it'll be an informal vote and it won't count. It's pretty clearly marked on the day on your ballot paper and there's lots of people who work on the day to help answer questions. And the other thing, I only know it because, you know, my mum used to do a bit of this. I um, volunteered at the tally room when I was 18. That's how enthusiastic I was about elections. But there's scrutineers, these people that actually, if there is a vote like that, there'll be a sort of a bunch of people that'll go, oh, I think their intention was to have this vote count and that's where the decision's made. Can you imagine it? Like, how, you know, 24, no, how many, how many million votes? How many adults vote? We got 17.1 million Australians on the electoral roll oh, at the moment where every single one turns up. Mm, that's, that's epic. Okay, Jason, you've got a bit of an gnarly question here. Yeah, Evan, what, I mean, what happens if a party doesn't get 76 seats in the House of Reps? 
Yeah, so that is the magical number. And in a way, more accurately, it's kind of 77 because the government traditionally provides the Speaker for the House of Representatives. But yeah, 76 is the number. A party or coalition of parties needs to get to 76 to be able to form federal government. And of course, the leader of that party that can form federal government, they're the Prime Minister. So that's how it works. You don't vote directly for the Prime Minister. You vote for a member of the House of Reps. And if, if enough of the party that you voted for gets up, then they're federal government. If they don't get to that magical number, and it's it's happened where a particular party or a coalition of parties doesn't get to that magical number, well, we kind of say it's time to negotiate it. It's called a hung parliament. Called, called a hung parliament. You've got crossbench MPs who effectively decide which way in terms of the two major parties to align to, to enable them to get to that magic number. 2010 was a classic example where there was a small number of independent MPs who were making that decision. And so election night, we didn't have a result. And I think it lasted about two weeks where these individuals were, were making up their minds which way, uh, which side of the fence they were going to sit on. Some of you might remember it was Andrew Wilkie, Rob Oatshot, Tony Windsor and Bob Catter. What a combination. So the four of them had to, and it was pretty heroic, <laughs> really, a moment in history, because I think the last time this happened was like in 1940 or something, right? So it's only happened a couple of times in our history that we've had this kind of situation, but it might happen this election. It can happen. Uh, the likelihood it suggests in the history, as you were just talking about, is that it's less likely than likely. The vast majority of the time, we get a pretty clear government. And as an electoral administrator, we don't care what the results are. But, geez, we like a clear result because uh, it lets the country <laughs> on and uh, not focus on the count. So uh, that will be what our fingers are crossed for. All right, Sondi, you've got a question that I know you're busting to mm, ask. Yeah. Look, a lot of people I speak to, and we all kind of think the same, that really most of us don't like either of them or don't, you know, we've got two parties that none of us really are aligned to. Is that ever going to change, do you think, or are we always going to just have the two and we it's just one or two? I, well, I know what you mean. I mean, there's been this two-party system is yeah. what they call it, but there's not two parties. There's about 50-odd. Uh, I don't know the exact number in terms of registered parties. I mean, you might have about 100 candidates on your Senate ballot paper. Very few of them represent the two major parties. As the AEC, we can't encourage you to vote one way or the other for major parties, minor parties, independents. We just encourage people to vote according to their choice. If enough people voted for what people term as a minor party or an independent, would you have the two-party system anymore? Well, no, you wouldn't. The voting system supports reflecting the will of the people. We don't control the media. That's where people get, I suppose, sucked into this notion of a two-party system. But really, your ballot paper and the electoral system supports choice. It's entirely up to the voters. If the majority of voters vote for the two major parties, well, that's, that's what we've got. Essentially, Australia has, in the main, been a two-party country, and it's just the way the system works, but it's also the way binary discussion happens, right? But there have been times in history where we've had the Democrats, and there's been times when the Greens have had probably larger numbers in the House of Reps, and that happens from time to time. Who knows what could happen this election? Okay, we've got a question here now that came through on voice message. Hi, my name's Elise and I'm from West Footscray in Melbourne and my question about the election is I'm actually going to be travelling around that time through South Australia and Western Australia and so I'm wondering what the best way is for me to vote so that my vote counts, whether that's through a postal vote or an advanced vote or, or some other way. Thanks so much. Anybody who is in Australia on election day has some options available to them. You can't vote at any of our polling places, but there are specially created 
interstate voting centres that you might be able to access. There might be one near you. If not, the early voting period runs for two weeks and you can vote at any, any of those ones across the country. We'll have a, over 500 early voting centres, so there should be one in close enough proximity to be able to visit. But if you can't make it in person, well, postal voting is potentially an option for you. How organised do you need to be with a postal vote? Like, do you need to get the form well ahead of time? Like, what's the cutoff? We encourage anyone who knows their circumstances and knows they'll need a postal vote to apply as quickly as possible. It's available online. Apply now, aec.gov.au. That's the place to go. And we'll get it out to you as soon as we possibly can. But the, the key with postal voting is as soon as you possibly know that you need it, apply for it. As soon as you get it, be really quick to fill it in, complete it, sign it off and get it back in the post box to us. We are urging people to plan their vote according to their circumstances. If you know that you might be working on election day, if you've got a planned hospital visit, I know that in a past election, my wife was due to give birth on election day. Those are sort of reasons why you can cast an early vote. And of course, the COVID pandemic, you might be working in an industry where you're more susceptible to it. You might be more vulnerable to COVID-19 because of your personal health circumstances. Those are the sorts of things that we're encouraging people to think about and get your vote in while you can. Grace. Yeah, so as a young voter as well, I think a lot of my friends, well, either they're not enrolled or they think that their vote doesn't count and maybe are perhaps considering a donkey vote. So can you just explain the importance of our votes? Yeah, absolutely. And, and young people, not just in Australia, but pretty much in every jurisdiction around the world, are a little bit less likely to be enrolled than the broader population. We've got about 96.5% of all Australians who are enrolled to vote. When you look at youth, and it depends how you define it, but 18 to 24-year-olds, that figure goes down to about 88 odd percent. And so uh, there's clearly a gap there, uh, which is unfortunate. We try and encourage as many people prior to the close of rolls to get on board. Uh, it's now closed, uh, so they can't anymore for this election, but anybody who's out there enrolled to vote for future elections, of course. It's critical. You only get your say once every three years. Australian electoral system, we, we provide great access to your vote, thousands of polling places, there's some places internationally where you've got your name plugged on the door for a particular day. You can't turn up at that location that time. You don't get your vote. Not here in Australia, freedom of political communication, great access to your vote and a say, a free say on who will actually represent you in federal parliament and make important decisions. So don't take that lightly, no matter what your age is. Yeah, I might just throw something in there, Grace. This is really interesting. Last election, the LNP won extra seat and Labor lost a seat. And so that's what determined things. Last election, six electorates around Australia, so this is in the House of Reps, six out of the 151, were won by only a couple of hundred votes. So you can sort of see that every vote really does count. They've averaged out the number of young people who are not enrolled to vote, and it's around about 2,000 on average across every electorate. Wow. So you can see how if 2,000 young people aren't voting and some seats are winning by only a couple of hundred votes, it's crucial that we yeah. all vote, right? Yeah. They could change the outcome of this election yeah. totally. Yeah. Your vote does make a difference, not just to who potentially gets elected, but also the margin, which plays out in the political narrative around the seat as well. Here's another question. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for doing this. My name is Steph and I'm from Brunswick, Melbourne. I have two questions. First of all, how do our votes feed into who eventually gets elected as Prime Minister? And secondly, where can we actually go to find out information about the changes and actions our officials plan to take if they come into power? 
I think I might get you, Evan, just to answer that first part of the question because I think that's quite interesting. You don't elect the Prime Minister directly. Well, unless, of course, you're living in the seat of either the Prime Minister or the opposition leader, and, and, then, and then you're voting to elect them as a member of the House of Representatives. But it is that numbers game, the amount of House of Representatives members for any particular party or coalition of parties that gets up to that magic number of 76 and elects a party. That's what your vote in the House of Representatives is doing. It's contributing to which party forms government, and it is the party themselves that chooses Prime Minister. Uh, We've seen it play out over the last however many uh, years where Prime Ministers have actually changed mid-term without a popular vote, and that's because the party's elected a new leader. It's all about the party having a particular leader. The public are electing a party to government. Has a PM ever not won their seat in an election? Yes. I mean, it happened as uh, recently as 2007. John Howard, who had clearly been Prime Minister for a number of years, I think it was over a decade, didn't win his seat. So it does happen. Um, You often see as well where a sitting PM does win their seat and then because they haven't been elected to government, they don't want to go on. That happened 2013 with Kevin Rudd in his seat in Queensland there. We had a by-election soon after the federal election to elect a new member. Look, I think we've got one last question. Hi, Sarah. My name's Nadine. Any tips for those of us in really safe seats? We see the commentary a lot about it's a safe seat, so my vote doesn't matter. Well, that's that's a, a, a bit of nonsense as well. It, it always matters. If people took that view and they were on the other side of politics to, to who is the sitting member by some margin, well, that margin is never going to change and perhaps it'll even get bigger if you don't bother to vote. So it's really important. And you're not just voting for a member of the House of Representatives, you're voting for senators for the, well, in Durack's case, the state of Western Australia. So you get more of a say there as well. So the same advice applies to everybody. Uh, vote for your candidates, most favourite to least favourite. And at Durack, just a point of note, is the second biggest electoral division in the world. So we've got quite a task on our hands to make that happen in terms of remote mobile polling activities, uh, servicing fly-in, fly-out workers and the like. So we're going very hard to take your vote. So I hope you do take it seriously. <laughs> Good point. And look, I think I have this right, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is a question from me, Evan. My understanding is that if you still vote for an independent or some other party in that seat and they get 4%, then what that means is that next election they get X amount of funding. So any anyone who does get 4%, it means that they're a viable option and then they'll get election funding to fund their campaign in the next election. So it gives them a leg up, a chance at winning next time. Have I got that right? So if you get 4% of the first preference vote, you do get you are entitled to election funding, but it's a reimbursement these days. So you've got to produce evidence of electoral expenditure in that election in order to get the funding. So if you were entitled to, let's say, $10,000 worth of election funding based on your first preference vote, if you weren't able to prove $10,000 worth of electoral expenditure, advertising staff to hand out how to vote cards and the like, then we would only pay it up to the amount that you could prove. So it's really a reimbursement for the election that you've just run in. It is, like you said, an important thing in terms of uh, people's campaign and their ability to campaign. Hey, guys, has that helped? Do you feel a little more equipped for May 21st? Yeah, definitely has reminded me of the importance of pulling my head out of the sand. I can advocate all I want for the things I believe in, but if we don't have the right people in power, then sometimes that message gets lost. So this was incredibly encouraging and I know my vote matters. Sondi, I think you had one last question. I can tell from the look on your face. I think I saw recently that there might be a possibility for us to, um, as voters to do a phone vote this year. Is that is that the case? Yeah, for people in very limited circumstances, oh, yes, right, that okay. is 
So uh, up until the Wednesday before polling day, postal vote applications are open. So if there's anybody who's COVID affected, mandated to isolate, the first port of call, uh, well, is to in-person vote if it's before or after your isolation, but to postal vote if you need to. Those last three days, though, postal vote applications have closed. So the Thursday, the Friday and election day itself on the Saturday. So if you are mandated under government health restrictions to isolate during that period of time, you haven't already voted, you're eligible for a phone vote. So that's the service that we're rolling out. I imagine it'd be very tricky. So to be avoided (laughs) for the sake of the Electoral Commission. It won't be smooth. We're being really upfront with that. It is a late legislative change, an emergency provision only. You'll probably wait longer on the line than you would in the line. It won't be as good an experience as rocking down to your polling place. So And having a sausage. Oh, they do have. Yeah. Grace, are you all good? Yeah, no, thank you, Evan. This has clarified a lot of things. And um, yeah, I just hope that everyone listening will use discussions like these to to feel empowered to vote well, because I think that this this election is going to mean a lot to Australia and our future. And uh, it really represents the standard that we accepted when when we had the chance to change. So I hope, yeah, everyone is going to use it to create a better outcome for ourselves. Good on you, Grace. Thank God for young people like you. Um, Evan, thanks so much. We'll see you on the other side. And no problems. Uh, have fun with your election and make sure you turn out and vote. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.